Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are going to be giving you one of 50 Mama interviews. These interviews have been conducted by Drama Victoria over the last two years to celebrate their 50th birthday. These 50 interviews are 50 conversations with 50 legends of the Victoria drama teaching game. So sit back, relax and enjoy a slightly longer than usual version of The Aside. Please note that the audio quality varies depending on where the interview was recorded. Welcome, Craig Christie, to the Legends interview. <laughs> Thank you. You've qualified as a legend. Well, I never thought that that would happen, but well, I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> I know. I was the same. I thought this only happens to people like Dame Ed Everidge yes. or something, you know. Yeah. But I guess that's more icon. Mm. Maybe we can aspire to be icons. We look towards that, absolutely. We'll, we'll move towards icon. So this is Craig Christie, and I'm about to ask the first question in the knowledge that Craig is no longer actually an, a teacher of drama. He now has morphed into quite a different sort of a, a person. How, why and when did you become a drama educator? I went straight from high school into studying at Rusden because I was so inspired by my drama teacher at the time, Marita Ruder. That that was all I wanted to do, much to my particularly my father's horror, who had <laughs> ambitions of me being a doctor. And he said we were wasting all that brain going off and flouncing around. But I was absolutely determined, and uh, and that's where I went. So I did my four years at college, and then I ended up in the classroom at the age of 21, teaching drama and English. At which school, Craig? I, I had the very particular experience of returning to the school that I was a student at, Donvale High School. Oh. And so my mentor and original, original inspiration, Marita Ruder, was still a teacher at the school. So we spent a couple of years as colleagues before she went on to, other, uh, to another school. That's incredible. Yeah, it was a I, terrific, I had, a very privileged start. Yeah. yeah, I had a like experience with mm -hmm. a student who loved drama and and a similar sort of me as a mentor, and uh, then returned and became part of the department. Mm. So it's it's actually a really wonderful sort mm. of circle, isn't it? It is because it it gave me the confidence um, to be able to really push right from the start because I always felt that I had. Um, her with me to yes. advise me and things like that. And, and there was trust there. Yeah, there was absolute trust there. And plus I was really and familiar respect. with the environment and the culture of the school, having just gone through it. Yeah. Although there was a look of horror on the face of some members of staff when I walked, <laughs> walked in. But, you know, that's another story for another time. <laughs> oh, dear. But I was absolutely committed to the idea of drama teaching. But funny enough, in my first couple of weeks I remember very vividly a conversation with Marita and saying well here I am this is what I wanted to do it's all I'm going to do and she said Craig you're not going to stay in teaching you, there's so much more that you're going to be doing and I was indignant and thought how very dare you but um well one of us was right and it wasn't me yes <laughs> and her insight proved to be true indeed I I trust the rift with your father was healed oh yes yes he could finally <laughs> see in the end when he was you know when he was at the um, concert hall in Melbourne seeing one of my musicals on stage there I think he thought it sort of turned out this all right is okay yeah. it's turned out okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. um 
changes that you've witnessed over the years and with your contact with drama mm. and um, particularly in the context of education yeah. and I know you have to go back a little bit. Mm. But oh no, I, I'm, well the thing is that my teaching career which was for 10 years at the coalface has totally informed the rest of my career as a writer and a composer and as a director. And, um, and so I've always stayed abreast of what's happening in schools in terms of curriculum, in terms of practice and things like that. So it's not as if I felt that I've turned my back on it or walked away from it. In fact, I've had to keep, it the, keep really involved to make sure that the stuff that I'm producing for schools, which is still a large part of, of my body of work, um, is relevant and useful. Mm -hmm. um, but be that as it may, I was very lucky to be a teacher in the 1980s and there was such freedom in those days and so any mad idea that I had the, the school administration supported me in that um, which is and I started my company No Mates Productions originally with my year nine students um, the whole joke of the name came about because we were busy doing group devised work and really loved putting on shows and they were a particularly talented group of students and they'd come in at lunchtimes and say, well, look, we may as well just hang in the drama room because I've got no mates outside. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> fed up with me banging on about drama. And so um, it came to pass we, need, we decided to give ourselves a name and it became No Mates Theatre Company, which, which is what I've stuck with. I'm No Mates Production since then. But with these students following through, um, I followed the Rusden idea of taking shows on the road. And so as they went along, we toured, first of all, Victoria. And then we toured... Um, when they were in year 11 to Tasmania. Wow. And when they finally finished year 12, I decided to keep No Mates going, and so I opened No Mates up to every student in the school was interested. And we did another regional tour, but then that went on. We ended up as still a high school group, bunch of kids from eastern suburbs of Melbourne, put together a tour and put together their own funding for a tour of um, California. And then in my last year of teaching, they toured um, the UK and Europe. How with, incredible. With, well, at that stage, I'd sort of taken over, because they all had to happen out of class time, I took over writing. Um, and so it was all part of what launched me into the next, my, my next career was that the stuff that I was writing for the students um, got a bit of a profile and I was produced by, um, I was approached by some publishers who said look there's a dearth of material, can we publish this work that you're writing for, for No Mates and so I got a publishing deal and they published six of my scripts in like 1990 and um, it was that time after ten years I decided I'd take a break from the classroom, I was a bit tired <laughs> yes, it sounds like it. Yeah, I was and, and typically do six productions a year, as well as teaching like year twelve literature and, yeah. and running. You know, and and I think a, I think a lot of the the legends we've spoken to um, had that you know double sort of investment into two two subjects. I taught literature too, mm. and and then it gradually that peeled away and it became full time drama and theatre. Mm. And a lot of them were sort of English drama. Mm history drama mm. um, I'm thinking about the fact you're describing all of those excursions and tours with mm. students mm. and I'm remembering that would have been in the day where just a little permission form would have been enough yes yeah uh, what you have to go through to get to extract yes. a child from a classroom these days Absolutely. is incredible. That's why I say I was so it's easier blessed. to get them out of a, a prison yes. than it is to get them out of a classroom. This we were so blessed <laughs> to have that and, and a 
principal particular who was really um, really supportive of the initiatives and could see because it was you know, it was getting print and headlines and stuff it was good profile for the school and um, so he could see the benefits of that and so like when we went to Europe we took two weeks out of the school like they let yeah. me freed me from the classroom we took one one week of the holidays and two weeks of term time incredible and taking year 12 students including some of them were year 12 students out of the way for, for that time you were you were sort of almost in the middle of a perfect storm yes really was it was just a perfect storm at that perfect time. perfect timing because yeah now it, it just it couldn't happen what no what um what we did and the experiences what was the other thing that was always really important i was I always at pains to say I'm not trying to train the students to become actors and follow careers in the performing arts. What we're trying to do is just um, really capitalise on their initiative, their creativity. So their creativity was not only what they were doing in performance and on stage, but in terms of um, doing tech work and design and fundraising and administration, all of these things. Organisational. The, yeah, as part of the experience. Yeah. Massive. So that was a better learning experience for them than a lot of stuff that they could have done in the classroom. I think that's extraordinary. What a great story. Well, it's really interesting having... Because I've got a show that's opening in Helsinki in Finland next year. And I was over there workshopping with the company. And um, in Helsinki, their education system is just doing away with formal subjects altogether. Mm. And they're doing everything mm. topic-based around that. So yeah, a bit more of, sort of Steiner in a yes, way. Yes, yeah. yeah. But, um, but their academic standards are, are just so high so we sort of high. really it's, there's something to be said about that and and typically the students who are involved in the no mates experience um academically their work right across the board improved and some of them were the, the the real academic high flyers so it wasn't as if this is what people do when they're not good at yeah at typical subjects we had kids right across the board yeah. who universally improved across the board because of that experience yeah absolutely highs and um, lows of your career mm-hmm. and you can go in either order um, well let's look at the the challenges I suppose um, teaching teaching time was um, I suppose my frustration with Gosh, think, I was still talking about being frustrated with administration then. God help <laughs> Never me. Never goes away. But exactly. But, the, but the, the fact that as I was moving forward in the career, things would keep me away from teaching became a real frustration. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, look, I know it's probably, you know, it's rose coloured glasses because it was a long time ago, but I loved my 10 years in the classroom by and large. But I do remember saying, um, when I stop loving it, I'm going to walk away from it because there's no reason to teach unless you love it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there were so many examples of people that I was teaching with who didn't love it and you know, their and lunchtime persisted. conversations were about how they were being annoyed by students and stuff like that. And I found in my 10th year that I was finding the antics of year seven, eights not as funny as I used to and they'd start <laughs> annoying me and things like that. And that was obviously I was just tired too. Obviously, I didn't need a break. Um, which is the reason I took uh, took a year's leave. It's, I, I let, took a year's leave, um, fully expecting that I'd go back after that, mm. but I just never did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the lows I could exp- I would talk about in my teaching years would be the same lows you always have. You know, the 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 frustrations you had, the 
boring, tedious things that people still have to deal with probably much more than I ever, yeah. ever had to. Yeah. After that, because the 10 years after left teaching were just incredibly hard work and we call them the austere 90s because I was on the bones of my ass. We were just struggling and I was taking in other work, um, catering, because my wife's a chef and I was enthusiastic in the kitchen as well, so we did catering work. I used to run school camp activities. Um, I was still writing. I was back acting um, in my own shows because I couldn't afford to hire another actor. And mm-hmm. while we'd, the first couple of years we were trying to figure out what we were doing with the company because I started it as a co-op, um, which shows how naive I was. A bunch of us, And we were having a lovely time but making no money. But I had a family and had three children at the time and then a fourth one came along. So oh, after a couple of years, it, it was obvious that I had to do something. Um, and that was to make a new business structure, so I had to disband the original, which caused a lot of heartache. Um, so that was a, a bit of a low point? It was a real low point, yeah, because, well, I'm still, yeah, because you start things as a happy family, but it's like any family breakup, you know, there's a lot of, mm. yeah, a lot of upset and anger and, and... And angst. Yeah, and angst, and, but it became apparent that I was trying to become a professional, but I wasn't treating it as a profession and there was there no one around to help lots of people to criticize and yes. I was always a bit of a, a, a fringe dweller because were that was the time of the really well established high flying through an education companies like woolly jumpers mm. and barnstorm mm. and no mates was very much the poor cousin the kids who were just nipping around and they would you know and not doing great work I'll admit myself the work wasn't great but I was still trying to figure out what I was doing and what how it best was to do it. that was going yes. to be the, the, the formula mm, yeah. yeah to move uh, forward yeah absolutely and so highs oh well highs came well, a lot of them were accidental things that happened um, the one the big defining thing was I started writing music more and more songs I was I'm not a trained musician but I was always I'd written a rock opera <laughs> at college wow. um, I'd um, you know I'd always sometimes slip one or two songs into the show because um, in any show I was doing because I always found if kids attention was flagging a song was always a great way of refocusing yep. them just change the dynamic of the piece and so I started writing music more and more and that became a real feature till in the end when people ask me what I do for a living now I've got two answers the one that shocks everyone is that I write musicals for a living which I actually do that is what I do for a living now but I'm still a storyteller who writes tunes yes it's a, it's a best is a, a best explanation of what I do and so the highs were things like um I was doing a uh, residency at Canterbury Girls and I couldn't find a piece that I thought was suitable to I was, I was commissioned to, to do their school show and so I wrote my first big stage musical Crusade for mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. and so we did it there for them first of all and that went on, I did a concert version of that and it was picked up and we had an angel investor so we ended up with a show at um, Hamer Hall with a 30 piece orchestra, 100 piece choir and all the stars of Fantastic. Australian Music Theatre in 1998 um, and that sort of launched me into the professional music theatre world, of which I knew nothing. <laughs> and, and so once again, I was thrown in, you know, sort of thrown in the deep end, and then had to start learning how to swim really quickly. And since then, it was um, there were two things. So it was, uh, the, my opening night on the West End with my show Eurobeat was you know, that's something I never even aspired to. I didn't know 
that that was even a, an option. A possibility. Yeah, and yeah. so but when you're walking down the red carpet and you that winning Best Musical. And you're the creator. Yes, yeah. yeah. Winning Best Musical for the original Eurobeat in 2007 and then this year we got Best Musical from Broadway World at this year's Edinburgh Fringe for the sequel, Eurobeat Moldova. So, <laughs> you know, I've had some terrific experiences like that. And, um, and more generally, just the fact that I'm, you know, my work's global now. I've got my, uh, my shows are seen by over 200,000 people around the world every year. Fantastic. And, and um, I was just saying to Stuart, I was talking to earlier that with my children's shows, in, which I do for schools, for primary schools every year, based on Children's Book Week, they've now been seen worldwide by over two and a half million children. children. Yeah, that, it's it's incredible. Mm. You know, and and it's delightful mm. because we're talking about real interactive live theatre. This is not two million hits mm. on, on an electronic no, no. site. Mm. These are and I'm sitting down. <laughs> I, I find that exciting mm. and refreshing and great and, and take great mm. great comfort and relief mm. from it. That you know, that, that that is still a really, really meaningful thing yes. that people want to participate mm. in. That's wonderful. Well the thing about my career it's always been defined by my continuing to do work in schools yes. um, where people might have been seduced by you know after you've done the West End you think that's where you need to be but I have clung really jealously onto my commitment to writing the best material I can to go into schools young, every year young people. and because we're partnered with the um, Children's Book Council of Australia to write a show for a book week every year which yeah. is my big production in Australia every year um, and I've got great producers so when we do these shows we've got 16 casts on the road simultaneously going into schools performing these musicals yeah. and it's vital because that's that's where I draw very much on my teaching experience and background because it's not an entertainment only it's um it's very positive message about um, accessing children's children reading as, as a really effective and active thing to do rather mm. than passive mm. but also I inject a um, a personal development theme every year and tackle sometimes really quite difficult things. People say, you can't do that for perhaps grade one, twos yeah. or whatever. You, say, well, you can if you do it with a lightness of touch. Yes. And children will take out of it what they're able to or prepared to do at that time. And, um, and so every year... I enjoyed the challenge. Well, and when I say enjoy, there's always the, the pain of the writer of saying, "Oh my God, I can't do this. This is where this is where I realise that I'm crap at my job and I'm, my career's over. That I'm about to start that again." And, and then that you stuff. fight through that. Yes, and then you get the show up, and um, the response <laughs> continues to be great. And part of it is I also develop a a really practical teachers activity pack to go with it so yes. I can explain my processes but also because I know what's useful in the classroom and that you know, a 50 page document on classroom lesson uh, of classroom activities is going to be no help but five pages of here's something you can go take after seeing the show go into the class and do it straight away Yes, um, that's going to reinforce that and teach literacy or you know, look at the arts or any of these things. And encourage reflection. Yes all yeah. those sorts of things so I, I, that's part of the whole package for me of yeah. um, creating something that is not only fantastic in the moment but then but supports teachers in the classroom to be able to, to capitalise on that experience. And that only is because of my teaching background. Yeah. yeah. So you're a little unusual mm. because you are not uh, full-time in the classroom anymore mm. but 
as you've explained, you've maintained ongoing contact with the classroom mm -hmm. and you use that to inform what yes. you do. Mm -hmm. um, what do you owe the longevity of your involvement with drama, theatre, musical theatre and education? Mm. What do you owe the longevity to, Craig? Um, in the end, it's what I do. I mm -hmm. think that's basically, it's, it's just, you know, people have a vocation or a calling. It might sound really sort of like romantic, but this is, this is my job. This is, well, I can't imagine doing anything else. I write stories, I write songs, and I use them to engage and uplift and educate Audiences, not only in schools, but I like to think worldwide. Uh, so, sure, I mean, my biggest show has been a, you know, a, a take on the Eurovision Song Contest, which is hardly <laughs> going to you know, sort of edify the world. But at the same time, other shows that I've, I've just had a new show open in London this year where I was working with a woman who's got profound cerebral palsy, and I wrote oh, a musical wow. about her life, yeah. but she physically is on stage as the star of the... So breaking down those sorts of boundaries. Wow. Because I know I go in with my own prejudices about you know, working... about Amy's capabilities and what my understanding of that is. But then through the process of creating the work, I create a piece of main stage or commercial music theatre that has the ability still to educate and transform the audience as well as the people involved in the making of the theatre. Yeah. So it... I, um, my, my body of work is not typical of the music theatre writer. I'm not writing for Broadway. I'm not writing for the West End. But sometimes accidentally, and with no particular <laughs> gender of mine, I found my place. You found, there, you found, found there. yourself there yeah. in, that, in that limelight. Mm. It's, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, journey that you've it, described yeah. to us. It it's really it's is. sort of magical. And the fact it began with you standing up to your father and saying, no, this is what I need to do, mm. that sort of almost knowing at that point mm. and then knowing I've had enough now, I'm moving in a different direction and I think it's characterised by a great resilience and persistence mm. on your part. I think so. I remember when I left teaching and people saying, oh, that was a brave thing to do and there was no bravery involved in it at all. It was just, this is, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Now it's only I'm brave if you're overcoming fear and I wasn't fearful. I was naive. Lord knows I was naive. <laughs> and the whole, had I known then what I know now, well, there'd be a whole lot of things I'd do differently, but then again, I wouldn't have the career I have now or the knowledge to pass on. To and pass I'm, on. I'm still passionate about mentoring so my teaching still stays with me in that I love working with young writers and saying well these are the mistakes I made these are things I know perhaps you need to listen to what I have to say and, and tapping into that mm -hmm. that um, aspect of the conversation what would you say to future drama educators what advice would you give to them Craig oh gosh um I wonder if I'm the person to talk to talk to the classroom teacher about that, but I would certainly say, fight and keep your sense of humour when all else fails. <laughs> God, that's the only thing that gets you through sometimes. And and don't do it if you're not loving it, because you're not going to teach effectively. You're not going to teach the love of it that is required in the students to pursue it either. You've got to lead by example all the time. Yes. Yes. Don't be bored. Don't be 
Don't get engaged. bitter. Yes, don't get bitter. Don't and get if bitter. you sense it, then do something else for a while or forever. Or go somewhere to refresh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You must look after yourself in, in that sense. And, you know, that, you're the first person to say that. And I actually I hold that as a very important point. I mm. think t- so many teachers, particularly drama teachers, spend a lot of time thinking about the well-being of others mm. in their care. Mm. Um, but you do have to look after yourself. Well, you are, your, you are your own resource in the end, and you're also the resource of all these people. And it is hugely draining. And that, that doesn't stop working in theatre. I mean, when you're directing a show or whatever, it's hugely draining and you've got to take time. Look, your refreshment, for me, sometimes what I need to do is just do a, a different project that's exciting and re-energises me. It doesn't mean I stop doing... Working. Working. Yeah. It just means you've got to do something different or take a different tack. Move it around. Yes, move it around. Yeah, don't get into a rut and just try and keep it fresh and, and, and keep loving it. Find a way to keep loving it. You know, I think we're going to stop on that note. I think that's a lovely place to be mm-hmm. in this interview. And, Craig, thank you so much for coming well, and speaking with us today. Oh, look, I really appreciate it, and I'm greatly honoured to be considered to be amongst the doubtless <laughs> the esteemed company that I am in. Legends aspiring to be icons, <laughs> yes. everyone. That'll be our next yeah, interview. on our way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all from us at The Aside. There are 49 other mama interviews you might like to listen to, so please do feel free to go and find those and have a listen. Thank you to all the people involved in conducting the mama interviews. The list is extensive. Happy 50th birthday to Drama Victoria, and thank you to the 50 legends for giving us their time. If you would like to ask the aside a question or you have a suggestion for a future episode, please do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. And of course, thank you for listening.